governments around the world and the media are beginning their efforts to shift the narrative on SARS-CoV-2 from the ending of the pandemic to the virus being endemic. This is part of their quiet pivot away from strict mitigation measures to the idea of, quote, living with the virus. A wise person might ask why they're shifting the narrative away from the pandemic ending to now the virus being endemic. The Dr. Reality Vodcast with Dave Champion. With the establishment shifting the narrative away from the end of the pandemic to the virus now being endemic, that causes us to ask, what is endemic? I'm going to share with you two definitions that pertain to the medical definition of endemic. The first one, denoting a pattern of disease occurrence in a population in which the disease occurs with predictable regularity and with only relatively minor fluctuations in its frequency over time. The second one, persisting in a population or region generally having settled to a relatively constant rate of occurrence. Yet, even the endemic narrative is not factual because you'll notice in both those definitions it talks to the rate of infection being relatively constant. Yet, health experts all around the world are talking already about a winter surge. So, endemic is just the next chapter in the establishment narrative, but it isn't factual, it's a lie. Let's take a quick look at viral pandemics in the 20th and 21st centuries. The Spanish flu of 1819, the Asian flu, 1957, the Hong Kong flu, 1968, the Russian flu, 1977, swine flu, 2009, avian flu, 2018, and SARS, not COVID-2, but the original SARS, 2002. It's important to note that not every viral outbreak is a pandemic. As an example, there was a lot of press about Ebola. However, Ebola was neither a pandemic nor an epidemic. The World Health Organization has classified each of its appearances as outbreaks. U.S. intelligence reports noted a contagion spreading in the Wuhan province of China as early as November of 2019. In December 2019, that was confirmed to be SARS-CoV-2. What that means is as far as duration is concerned, SARS-CoV-2 began on the planet Earth in November 2019. As I'm recording this today, we're less than a week away from November of 2021 which means that SARS-CoV-2 has been present for 25 months. Why do I bring that up? Because every pandemic or epidemic on the planet, since mankind has been able to track these kind of things, even if they're looking back retrospectively, every single viral pandemic or epidemic has ended by month 20. But with SARS-CoV-2, we're at month 25 with no sign that it's ending. That might cause someone to ask, why did all the previous pandemics end by month 20, but we're in month 25 now with SARS-CoV-2, and it shows no signs of ending? Well, that's because all of those other viral outbreaks reached herd immunity levels, and SARS-CoV-2 hasn't. 
and isn't going to. People who rail against herd immunity, especially natural herd immunity, they simply are ignorant of what herd immunity means, what it is, what it actually does. People who rail against natural herd immunity imagine that it's some magical thing that causes a contagion, a viral contagion is what we're talking about today, causes that to just disappear. (laughs) That's not at all what herd immunity is. This thing we call herd immunity is nothing more than the percentage of the population that has been infected and has natural immunity is so large and the susceptible pool, those who have not yet had it, is so small that it ceases to be a public health threat. It just dwindles away. It doesn't mean the virus just completely disappears. It's not magical. It's just math, which apparently those people who rail against herd immunity don't understand. I mentioned that all those pandemics we talked about a moment ago ended via herd immunity. And I should tell you, depending on the type of contagion, herd immunity uh, is achieved within a community, a society at different levels, just like people are unclear on what herd immunity actually is and what it does. I think they're also unclear on when it occurs. I've discussed before that what percentage of the population has to have been infected and therefore have prior infection immunity um, in order to achieve natural herd immunity varies from contagion to contagion, and it is not knowable in advance. You can Science can only look back and say, aha, we hit herd immunity when this particular percentage of the population had prior infection immunity. The reasons that it can't be predicted in advance are not relevant to this video and would make it a lot, lot longer than it's already going to be. But the point I wanted to make is that all of those previous pandemics ended with natural herd immunity. Now, a couple of those eventually vaccines were released, but they were not distributed in any sufficient numbers that they impacted what we're talking about, which is hitting herd immunity. The percentage of the population that got vaccinated was so incredibly small, it had no bearing on that, and they all ended from natural herd immunity. So again, we're left to ask, all those other pandemics, they disappeared from natural herd immunity and they all disappeared within 20 months. So why has that not occurred with SARS-CoV-2? I suspect some people are going to now, they're going to say, because Delta! No, so exactly the opposite is true. Uh, Delta being the most transmissible variant that has come along concerning SARS-CoV-2, if things were operating the way nature intends, what that would do is that would allow society to hit the na- the necessary level of prior infection immunity in society to achieve herd natural herd immunity earlier than if Delta had never occurred. As we're sitting here talking today, the CDC estimates that 68% of the U.S. population has at one time or another been infected with SARS-CoV-2, and that 67% of the U.S. population has already been vaccinated. Yet, we're well past that 20-month mark. The establishment has not in any way, shape, or form even attempted to explain to you why that is. The why is something that I've been discussing with you for months, and that is that the SARS-CoV-2 vaccines do not activate the production of memory T-cells. And the production, the existence of memory T-cells is the immunogenic feature of the body's immune response that produces the society-wide effect we call herd immunity. In other words, no memory T-cells, no herd immunity. 
the establishment has been completely silent about this history-making level bungling. However, every now and again, a little bit of the light of truth creeps out from under the blanket of censorship. And here's an example of that. From a recent report written by Joe K. Gerald, associate professor at the University of Arizona Zuckerman College of Public Health, and Patrick Whiteman, a researcher at the school Center for Population Science and Discovery. Here's a quote from their report. With waning vaccine efficacy and a potential short duration of acquired immunity, herd immunity is not achievable. Close quote. That quote is essentially Gerald and Whiteman admitting that the SARS-CoV-2 vaccines do not activate the production of memory T-cells. As I've been telling you for months and months and months now, I'll put the links to the previous videos where I've talked about specifically why the vaccines do not activate production of memory T-cells in the notes below. This all-time royal screw-up by the pharmaceutical companies and their shills in government may be worse than what you take from the reality that the SARS-CoV-2 vaccines do not activate production of memory T-cells. It is possible that the vaccines prevent people who were never infected and then got vaccinated and then were exposed to the wild virus and became infected, that it inhibits their ability to produce memory T-cells. To be clear, while I am 100% certain that the vaccines do not activate production of memory T-cells. I suspect, but cannot prove, that the vaccines inhibit the production of memory T-cells in post-vaccination infections by the wild virus. Why can't I prove that second part that I suspect? Well, because there's absolutely zero public research and zero public data available on that subject. Now, I'm, again, absolutely certain that Pfizer has the answer and Moderna has the answer and Johnson & Johnson has the answer, as does CDC, because this is an incredibly simple thing to establish. The fact that no one is talking about it, no one, there is a complete government and media blackout on the subject, yeah, that conveys to me that my suspicions are factual. Where does this leave us? Well, Due to the bungling of the pharmaceutical industry and government allowing that bungling to then go out into the public and be injected into people, we now find ourselves in a place where a certain percentage of the population is going to continue to be reinfected and reinfected and reinfected with SARS-CoV-2. And if they choose to stop taking boosters every four to six months, which you will see happening down the road, right now CDC is considering changing the definition of fully vaccinated from two injections to three. And then four, five, six, seven months down the road, you'll see them change it again from three to four. Because as Gerald and Whiteman, the researchers we quoted earlier, mentioned, the vaccine-acquired immunity is short-lived. So if you want to continue to be immune, jab, 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 because memory T-cells are never created. If somebody chooses not to get jabbed and jabbed again and jabbed again, and suddenly they say, you know what? 
I'm done with this. Well, then when their vaccine-acquired immunity wanes, they will not only become reinfected, but then they stand the possibility of acquiring COVID-19. Because remember, the protection against COVID-19 or moderate or serious COVID-19, as as pitched by the public health experts, only pertains to that period of time in which the vaccine-acquired immunity is still there. It's still in existence. Once the vaccine-acquired immunity dissipates, you're not protected from COVID-19 at all. Worse yet, people who've been vaccinated may never be able to develop memory T-cells no matter how many times they are infected with or sick from SARS-CoV-2. And without memory T-cells, they can be repeatedly infected and they can have COVID-19 repeatedly as well. So who's responsible for all this? Well, of course, it's pharmaceutical companies that produce these vaccines and the government shills that have been screaming that they're safe and effective and everybody should get them. But when I say responsible, I mean morally responsible. You're never going to be able to hold any of them legally or financially responsible because they all have complete and total immunity, no matter what happens to you. Imagine a world in which government wants everyone to engage in some degree of mitigation measures for an indeterminate period of time could be a year, two years, five years, forever, because they authorized drug companies to provide a vaccine that does not activate the production of memory T-cells and may inhibit the production of memory T-cells post-vaccination if you're infected with the wild virus. Now, imagine, as we're seeing right now, that the government's answer to this debacle is to insist that everyone receives a drug, receives an injection, which prevents or inhibits the production of memory T-cells. And we have not even broached the subject of whether somebody who was infected with the wild virus, their body produced memory T-cells, then they were vaccinated, do the vaccines somehow inhibit those memory T-cells from performing the function they are normally supposed to perform? Again, we don't know. And again, why don't we know? Because a complete lack of public research and a complete lack of public disclosure. Although I am, again, absolutely confident that Pfizer, Moderna, J&J, CDC, NIH all know the answer to that question. And they're not talking. I believe an appropriate word that we could apply to where the United States finds itself now concerning SARS-CoV-2, COVID-19, and the vaccines is... Clusterfuck. If you find science fascinating, as do I, you want some real factual science, not this establishment narrative you've been getting for the last 20 some odd months. I want to encourage you to go to drreality.news, pick yourself up a copy of Body Science. You have my word, it will be one of the most fascinating books you will ever read. And you will find that the establishment narrative concerning human physiology, most specifically with a focus on nutritional physiology, has been just as duplicious and non-factual as the kind of things we've been talking about here today. And while you're at DrReality.News, grab yourself a copy of Income Tax Shattering the Myths. 
Yes, the establishment narrative that you've been told for your entire life, if you just go to work and earn some money, that you owe the government income tax. Yeah, so that's just as false as all the other stuff we've been talking about today. And all the evidence is laid out with crystal clarity in income tax shattering the myths. I should point out that like everything I bring to your attention, I live that out in my own life. I haven't filed an income tax return or paid income tax since 1993. And here I sit. And the Department of Justice has acknowledged that it owns several copies of my book, and I'm sure DOJ attorneys in the tax division have read it time and time again. And if I was wrong, I'd be wearing shackles. I'd be in federal prison by now because I talk about it publicly. I'm probably the most vocal person in the nation about the truth of the income tax. So while you're there, grab yourself a copy of Income Tax Shattering the Mists as well. And that, whether you buy body science, or Income Tax Shattering the Mist, helps me to stay here for you. Thanks.